right, well, we're continuing a series today called The Blessed Life, and if you've missed any of the installments of that, uh, you can find them online, or also you can download our app at Elevation Church, STL, Google Play, you know, uh, the App Store and all that. You can find it there. All of our messages are there, and so I encourage you to go back and look at some of these and listen to them, or even watch the services, because I fundamentally believe that this series is a game changer for those people that grab hold of it. I believe the revelation that's in this series will radically change your life. I believe that 100%. Matter of fact, it'll change you at such a level that you literally become the most generous person you possibly can be. And again, why is that important? Well, it's important because that's who God is. And part of what he calls us to do is become that to the world. Because one, he wants to bless us, but two, he wants to show himself to the world through that. And, 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 and so we're kind of like the, the demonstration of that goodness in the world. And so I want to encourage you to dig in. If you haven't picked up the book, uh, the, the series itself is coming from a book called, wait for it, The Blessed Life. I know, right? We got really creative on these titles. And so if you haven't picked this book up, I can't preach. I don't have enough time to preach the content of this book. And so I encourage you to go pick it up and fill in the gaps with the content because there's so much good stuff in here. This is one of those books that I always encourage people to have on their shelf because I think it's that important to your development as a follower of Jesus. So please take advantage of that. They're out there for cost, and so we'll just, we'll just have them. We wanted to make them available for people. If you can't afford one or you know someone that maybe needs one or whatever, take them. Just take them. People have even, I even know some people have that bought extras just so that we can do that, okay? Because we, again, our church is a very generous place. And so we want to make sure that that's always true. And so I encourage you to grab one, pick one up. I promise it'll help you. All right. Today we're going to be talking about something called the principle of the first. Now you may or may not know what that is. And so I'm going to get to that in just a second. But this, I believe, is the most important piece of this entire series. That if we get this right, if we get this right, it unlocks everything else. However, if we get this wrong, it shuts down everything else. Does that make sense? And so it's so important that we get this principle that, that I want to spend an entire message on this idea of first and what that means. Well, here it is in a nutshell. Let me, let me, let me break it down for you. It's very clear. It's not very hard to understand. That is that God wants to be first, right? I mean, that's probably not even a shock to you. You know, in some ways you're like, well, yeah, I mean, of course he wants to be first. He's God. And, 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 and the thing that I've found, though, in our lives, there are all kinds of things that can be in competition, huh? In competition to that being true. There's all kinds of things that are competing with that. And the thing that God wants more than anything is to make sure that he's first. And when that happens, everything else, everything else is in order. But when it's not, everything else is out of order. Now, there's a, there's a passage of scripture that I've shared through this series, and I'll share it with you again in Matthew 6, 21. This is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 21. It'll be on the screens there. But watch this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Very simple, very straightforward. In other words, wherever my treasure goes, my heart is tethered to that treasure. Makes sense? And so wherever it goes, your heart is going with it. 
And part of what the Bible is trying to help us to see is that when our treasure moves, it's going towards the thing that's most important to us. So when God says that he wants to be first, it's not just in coming to church. It's not just in reading your Bible. It's not just in witnessing to people. It's also in the area of generosity because it's right there that we begin to unlock the very blessings of God in our life. And God wants that to be true. Now, here's the question I ask people a lot of times. And this is, it's kind of a rough question, you know. So, like, I ask people, like, hey, is God first in your life? And they, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah, right? I don't know what you would say if I said that. Maybe you're just a little more honest. You'd be like, well, not really. You know, okay, we'll deal with that. But, but a lot of times people, people say, well, yeah, he's, of course, he's first in my life. And, and then the, my follow-up question, this is where pastor gets kind of mean. The follow-up question is, well, let me see your checkbook. And then they're like, hmm, well, I don't, I don't really want to show you my checkbook, pastor. You know, that's a, pastor, that's a private matter. I don't appreciate you prying into my private life. None of you would ever say that, right? I mean, none of you would say that. But, but, but think about that. The Bible very clearly says that, that the treasure follows the heart. It's, it's, it's following it. And so just like any organization, if you ask, what's that, what, what matters to that organization? What do they say? Look at the budget. Look where they spend their money. And you'll know exactly what's important to them. Well, that's the same thing with us. Is that where we spend our cash, where we put things, the Bible very clearly says that our heart is following that around. And, and it's important that we understand this principle because when that's true in our lives, that means that our heart is tethered to the right things. But if it's not, that means our heart potentially is tethered to all of the wrong things. And so this idea that, that God is first is critical, and it's actually throughout the entire Bible. And so I want to talk to you more in depth about this principle of first. It's very simple that I think all of us can do it, okay? All right. Now I want to I want to jump into First Kings, uh, verse or chapter seventeen, verse eight. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen behind me. But I want to kind of set the context for you, so you know a little bit about what's going on. We pick up this story in Kings, and what's happening is there's basically a recession. You know, perhaps you've lived long enough to go through a recession, and and, and so it, it, it's not a a thriving time. Uh, there's a famine. It hasn't, basically, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. You with me? And so, so it's kind of a bleak situation. Uh, some scholars believe that as we pick up the story, they're about six months into the recession. All right, they're, they're about six months into this famine. And, and this is where we kind of pick up the story. And there's a guy by the name of Elijah who is a prophet that is told by God to go do something. And that's what we're going to read. In verse 8, listen to this. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise and go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. So he's saying, look, go there, dwell there. He says, see, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Interesting. Verse 10, so he arose and he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gates of the city, indeed, there was a widow that was there, and she was gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I might drink. <laughs> that's kind of curious. It's a famine, right? It hasn't rained. 
Which that's kind of interesting. That's an interesting request in the middle of a famine, isn't it? In the middle of a drought. And yet he says, bring me a cup of water that I might drink. And then in verse 11, he says, uh, the Bible says, And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, I like this, very practical response by the lady. She says, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And I... and." And, and see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we might eat and do what? Die. Kind of a bleak situation, right? Not a lot of faith here. And Elijah says to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake. From what? Make me a small cake from the first. I want you to mark that first, the first, make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterwards make some for yourself and for your son. So he's basically saying, feed me first and then you get yourself something. 14, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. That's a pretty good promise. So he starts with this promise and he shares this promise. Now, I don't know about you, but I would, I would suspect that this widow, when Elijah shows up, is thinking to herself, this guy might be crazy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he shows up, he asks for water, the first thing, and then he asks for a morsel of bread before she can even get a bite. You, you put yourself in that situation. Somebody shows up at your house, prophet of God, and does that. You're like, Shh, get your own water. <laughs> that bread's for me and my boy. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, so, so I think there's a part of us that, that looks at this story and thinks, this seems really out of order. Seems a little strange to me. Perhaps maybe she even thought he was a little crazy. Here, I'll go a step further. If I said to you that you're, that in the middle of a recession, it's the best time to tithe. You might say to me, I'm a little nutty. Get that. Just let that sit there for a second. I'm a little nutty. I'm a little crazy for even suggesting it. Because, see, it's not practical. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's kind of upside down. It's like, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, didn't you know that the banks are down? Didn't you know that this is down? Didn't you know we're losing our job? Didn't you know that there's, it, it, there's no rain we're all, we, we don't have any bread. And I think the same kind of idea comes into us when we're dealing with this idea of being generous. Not just generous, but doing it first. Because see, first is about faith. And I'm going to get to that in just a second, but I think it's important we see in this story that, that the recession is actually the best time to tithe. Based on what we've been learning through this series, uh, the widow... The widow is, she's in this spot where she's desperate and, and she, she has a prophet come to her and ask her for these things. I mean, she'd be better off going to like a venture capitalist, wouldn't she? I mean, trying to find some cash, drum up a little support, you know, do the thing. Not just give away her last piece of bread. That doesn't make any sense. But yet here's the thing that I think we've got to see. Elijah was not in a place where he was desperate for anything other than God. Get this. This is important. 
Because at the end of the day, he came to this woman because God told him to come to this woman. God didn't send Elijah to the widow so that the widow could provide for him. Stay with me. God sent Elijah to the widow so that God could provide for the widow. Come on. This is important you see this. Is at face value we think, well, God sent him there so this widow could take care of him. Look, Elijah didn't need that. If you know the story of the prophet Elijah, God on a regular basis was showing up and doing some crazy things. I mean, he, would, he literally brought meat from birds down to the dude. I mean, that's, that's pretty significant. One time he was taking a nap, and while he was sleeping, God shows up and gets him some nice, a nice drink of water, and he makes him a nice little cake. You know, it, it is just a beautiful thing. He wakes up and he has this cake. It's the first place in the Bible that you ever see angel food cake. It's true. It's true. The angel brought it to him. It's, it's right there. I know, guys. It's like, that was cheap, wasn't it? It was cheap. But hey, and so, so he doesn't need this woman to take care of him. God is his source. He's perfectly aware of that. And yet God has told him to go to this woman, not because he has need, but because she has need. And she's try, he's trying to get her to see that this is about her doing the right thing. And as she does the right thing, it's going to unleash a blessing into her life that she can't contain. It's going to overflow. Did you see that? The flour, the oil, it's always going to be there until, it, until the rain comes. That's significant. I mean, that's a big deal that we see that it's really more about providing for the widow than it is providing for Elijah. And I, I found in my life, and, and, and as I do ministry, that oftentimes is that the reason we're not experiencing miracles in our life is we never give God the opportunity. We're not giving him the opportunity to show up in miraculous ways. In other words, we're not doing what he's told us to do by faith. Because again, faith isn't just because I can see it. No, faith is something I believe that isn't quite there yet. Faith is something that I believe and I put my faith in God to do something great over here. And so often we want to be able to control it, manipulate it, and, and, and think really hard about it. And then we're like, God, show me a miracle. And God's like, well, show me some faith. Show me, show me what I've told you to do. Respond to me the way I've asked you to respond. And, 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 and right here, I think God is trying to break through in our hearts today. I believe that. Is that God is trying to break through around this idea of first. Because see, when we get this, it's going to lock, unlock everything. Because see, last week I talked about how important the tithe was to this. And if you missed the message, go back and watch it. It's in Malachi and I talk about this whole thing. But, but the thing that you see in that, in, that, in that passage of Scripture is that the tithe is something God wants. And, and you have to even think about this. Like he says 10%. Is it, why does God say 10%? Why, why does he want it? Because it's not, he's not in need. Like he's not in need and why the 10%? You know, all that stuff. Here's the thing. He wants to set up a system that requires you to put your faith in him. That's it. I mean, that's a big deal. And so here's the thing that it says in the scripture in Malachi is it says that when you tithe, God will bless you. Simple. I know, I know, right? Very simple. If you don't tithe, it says you live under a curse. God didn't curse you. He doesn't do that. He says you live under the curse, right? And so the curse existed and you are like putting yourself under it and saying, wow, this is going to be great. It's not. 
But see, God wants to make sure that we're all in the camp of blessed and the way that he gets us there, the way he breaks off this curse in our life is that we tithe. That's, I mean, that's kind of what we talked about last week. And that's the thing that we have to see here is that there's something going on here in this story of first that helps us see a little deeper into this idea of tithing. That it's not just about giving 10% on the back end, but it's about giving 10% on the front end. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that in just a second too, because I think we've got to understand this. But before we do, I want to I kind of dig in a little bit into what I would say are, I'd say these are two different hearts. Okay, I want to look at two different individuals in the scripture that really describe for us two different hearts. So last week I t- talked a little bit about a guy named Cain and Abel. You heard of these guys? And so uh, Eve, right, Adam, they were together, had kids, Cain, Abel. If you don't know the story, Cain kills Abel, which really becomes the first murder in the Bible. Not good. Bad deal, Right? So maybe you know the story, but if you don't, I'm going to pick it up here so that you can kind of help, uh, so that I can help you kind of get the context. And so, so Elijah comes to this woman and says, okay, I want you to put God first, bring that bread to me first, but then watch this in Genesis 4, starting in verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, right? But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So one was a farmer and one was kind of like a rancher. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Look at this. Brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. So Cain brought an offering. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat, and of their fat. And the Lord, look at this. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he didn't, look at this, but he didn't respect Cain's and his offering. Look at that. That's kind of twisted up, isn't it? It's like Cain brings an offering. It's like, here's, God, here's my offering. And then Abel brings an offering and, and God says, well, I like that one, but I don't like that one. And I don't know about you, if you were in Cain's shoes, I'd be like, what? Well, right? I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you feel that way? Like, wait a second. And so he goes on, he says, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. He got angry and his countenance fell in verse six. So the Lord said to Cain, look at this. Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Good question. Verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Then he goes on, he says, and it desires, its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. In other words, you shouldn't be subjected to it. You, You should do something different. Now Cain talked with Abel, and this is important, watch this. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, And it came to pass, they were in the field, then Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. That's a disturbing story, isn't it? Is that there's this thing going on where Cain offers something, Abel offers something, God says no to that offering, which 
in essence, leads to Cain giving certain emotion to it, which then leads to Cain in his anger and his bitterness responding to a brother or sister uh, and, and literally, in this case, physically murdering them. That's, that's pretty significant. And I don't know if this is for you today, but I, I feel pressed in my heart today to share this, and that is that, that sometimes we think that this only happens in the physical and I, I think it's important for some in, to, in this room today that, to understand that this can happen in the spiritual. In other words, uh, something happens, you don't like it, you get angry, your countenance changes, and it may not even be towards God, but it may be towards a brother or sister. And, and so what happens is rather than to address it in the right way, you start to feel some bitterness in your heart towards that individual. Do we have a problem in our culture with people being offended? And so we take on an offense and it gets hold of our hearts, creating bitterness or anger. And then what we do, we may not, oh, we're, we're above this. We're civilized. Uh-huh. We're not going to let this happen. We're not going to kill anybody. I'm not going to physically kill you. But in my heart, in my heart, I'm already hating you. I'm already creating division in the church because I'm unwilling to deal with my issue. I'm letting bitterness get a hold of me. And I'm just telling you guys, that's not okay. And so some of you need to have some conversations today. That was for free. Had nothing to do with the sermon. It's free for some of you. That'll set you free. I guarantee it if you grab hold of it. So, so, so in this Cain situation, I want to look at Cain's heart for a second. Now, it might be a little weird for me to say that. How do you, how do you really get to Cain's heart? You know, I mean, he lived all the way back then, and how do I know what was in Cain's heart? I mean, how do I, how do, I do that? You know, can we go back in time and kind of splice that thing together and see, okay, Cain, what's in your heart? Well, actually, we can look at the Scripture and we can see because the Bible speaks about Cain's heart a little bit later on. And so what I want to do is I want to look at what was going on in Cain's heart. In other words, why did Cain offer what he offered? To God, and why did God reject it? Here it is. In Jude, and this is in verse 11 of Jude, Jude doesn't have any chapters, it's a small little book, but, but watch this. Woe to them, for they have gone, look at this, in the way of Cain. What's the way of Cain? Well, guess what? He's gonna tell us. Look at this. Have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit. You're like, what is that? Balaam was a prophet, and if you've heard the story, there was a talking donkey. It's really cool. I mean, I'm just saying, if you've never read a story about a talking donkey, it's a pretty big deal. But Balaam was a prophet, and he was willing, he was willing to do things for pay as a prophet. Get that. And so, so, so it says that he was greedy. But here's the second part, and it says, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And what is that? Well, there was a group of people called... Uh, Korah and and they rebelled against God and God basically this is if you haven't seen this story this this one will really mess you up but God swallowed them from the earth because of their rebellion I know in the Bible cool I mean there's just all kinds of neat stuff in there right some of you're like that guy's twisted 
oh, but you guys will watch like Lord of the Rings or any of that stuff, and you'll be like, oh, this is great. I love it. It's just fantasy, Pastor. Love Harry Potter. Okay, sorry. Back to the text. Back to the text. So it says that he was greedy and he was in rebellion. That's two things, greed and rebellion. And so, so why didn't Cain give God what he deserved? Very clearly, greed and rebellion characterized Cain's heart. Greed and rebellion. Now, I know that's sometimes hard to hear because it, it's hard for us to think of ourselves as greedy or even in rebellion. But let me give you something that I think is kind of profound. And that is when, it, when we, a lot of times the reason people don't give and I'm not just talking about money, but just the, your time. I mean, just to be generous in all areas of your life. A lot of times the reason we don't do it is because of fear. We're afraid of what is going to happen or what's not going to happen or what's not going to be there. And so there's a level of fear. And, and so, so here's the thing, though, about fear. I think a lot of times we categorize fear as an acceptable thing. Get this. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes there's something that happens that scares you. I'm not saying that you don't have a response like, whoa, that scared me, right? But what I'm saying is fear is inconsistent with love. In other words, if God says perfect love casts out all fear. So, so what, is he, what is he trying to help us understand? And, and that is that fear really is a, it's a level of mistrust, right? It's a, it's a level of mistrust. In other words, if God says he's for you and no one can be against you because God is for you, then that should raise your faith level and not your fear level, correct? And so my point is, is that a lot of times we don't think about fear as being in rebellion, but it is because God has already said that's what you're supposed to do. And our job is to be obedient to what he said. And God has always been true to his word. He's always been faithful. So why would we fear? Does that make sense? And so the point here is that, that sometimes we're actually living in rebellion to God and we don't even know it because it's kind of one of those acceptable emotions that we've propped up and said, hey, everybody has it. Does that make sense? And so, so, so understanding this is really important because, see, the Bible very clearly tells us you should tithe. It's not complicated. Matter of fact, it says you should tithe and when you do, you will be blessed. Period. Like, that's what it says. And so, so, so I'm not like making this stuff up. I'm not like coming to some gray area of the Bible and extrapolating it and making it stand up. And you guys will be like, yes, yeah. No, it's just very straightforward. If you do this, this is what happens. If you don't, this is what happens. I love that. I love it when the Bible's clear. Don't you? I mean, sometimes the Bible isn't clear, and it, 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 it creates arguments and dialogues and all that stuff. But man, sometimes the Bible is so certain about things that if we do it, it's going to lead to something that God has already planned. But here's what I've noticed, though, is that what I get from people a lot of times, and, and this is where the rebellion comes in, is I'll do it when I want, how I want. When I want, how I want. Well, if I say, hey, no, do it this way, because that's what the scripture says. But what happens is if something comes out, I'm going to do it when I want and how I want. Because again, whose money is it? Whose time is it? Whose talent is it? We believe it's ours. We don't believe it was a gift from God to be used by God, to be stewarded by us. It's all his anyway. And so what happens is, is we start to believe it's ours, and then when we do that, then we become like this. We hold on. 
And we don't do the things that God wants us to do. We don't live in faith. We live in greed and rebellion. Imagine this. The Bible says that I should love my wife this way. It's very clear. I mean, go to the scriptures. There's all kinds of ways. The Bible says love your wife like this. What if I said, well, honey, I appreciate that. I love, you know, I love what the scripture's saying here. You know, enjoy it. It's great. Great word. Uh, but I'm going to do it when I want and how I want. How would that go? Pretty good, wouldn't it? It'd be great. But that's what we do here. We won't do it with love. Because we see love. We're like, yeah, love. I should do it like this. It should be this and this and this. That's how we should love. Jesus was our example. Well, Jesus was also our example when it came to this. God clearly has made this clear. Clearly has made this clear. Hmm. A little redundant, but hey, you're getting the picture. But then watch this. So in rebellion... This is a very beautiful thing. This, this, this is amazing. So in Genesis 4, if you remember the story, going back to Cain and Abel, in Cain's rebellion, in his rebellion, God still came to Cain. And he said, why are you so angry? What, why has your countenance changed? And I love that part of the story. Because it's not like just God shows up and says, don't like the offering. He doesn't do that. He doesn't just light him up with some lightning. The guy's gone, vanishes, kapoof. No, no, no. He comes to him and he says, Cain, why are you so angry? Why has why, why your countenance changed? I mean, what, what are you so upset about? Guys, I love that part of the story because it's a glimmer into the God we serve. The Old Testament very clearly says that God is a God of love and grace too. And sometimes we think, you know, he's just this mean kind of God that's out there smiting everybody. Right? I mean, that's what we think. And, but again, going back to what I said last week is God doesn't change. And if God doesn't change, how he was revealed here is how he's revealed there. And that is that God is a God of love. So, so, so God comes to him and says, Cain, why are you letting this get a hold of you? Why are you allowing this kind of division to come between you and me and your brother? And that's the thing that I love about this is he's pointing out that Cain is doing it. God is not doing it. Let me read this to you. And this is in Proverbs 19.3. It says, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness. Well, that's not fair. That's mean. I know, right? So mean. But God, it says people ruin their lives by their own foolishness. And then check this out. Then they get angry at the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like if you're the Lord, like I'm like, I get tired of this. I get tired of people being mad at me for things they do. And yet God is very clearly saying, oftentimes what happens is we make choices that are foolish, expecting God to somehow bless them simply because he loves us. The good news is that God won't do that. Because see, God isn't about that. God is about loving you truthfully. He's not about loving you the way you have conjured it up in your mind. He loves you truthfully. And, and what's happening here is so often in our lives, we go to this place of saying, God, why didn't you? And God, why didn't you? And I can't believe this happened. I can't believe you did this to me. And God's saying, hold the phone. I've already told you what you need to do. And you're not doing it. So why is that my fault? <laughs> right? 
I mean, is this getting through? I feel like I've scared all of you. Are you okay? Are you okay? I mean, just stick with me, people. I promise if you get this in your life, it'll help you. I'm really not a bad guy. So what happens is you, you, you start to think that maybe God's doing something to me. And God's just simply saying, hey, if you'll do it my way, if you'll step into that, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And so look at this in Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with what? The first fruits of all your increase. So there's that first again, which again, like I said, it's all over the scripture. So your, burn, your, <laughs> your burns. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Isn't that a beautiful picture of increase? And all he says is you honor me with the first. Honor me with the first. And then look at this in Exodus 23, 19. The first of all, <laughs> so good. The, the first of the first fruits. He just double firsted you. Did you see what happened there? He double firsted you. He started with the first of the first. So he's trying to make sure he's reiterating the point. It's the first of the first. So he says, the first of the first fruits of the land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Now, some of us give outside the church, and that's all well and good. But the difference between a tithe and an offering is a tithe goes to the house. The tithe goes to God's house so that there will be food in the house for the people. The offering is over and above the tithe, and that goes to a lot of different things. So maybe you give to Compassion International, or you do some things outside the church. That's great. Do those things. Be the most generous person you can be. But don't ever forget that that's what the tithe is for. It's supposed to come to the house. So we've looked at Cain's heart. Now let's look at Abel's heart for just a quick second. Abel's heart, and, and this is really important, Abel's heart was a heart of faith. He, it was a heart of faith. He, he, he believed that God would do what he said he was going to do. And so look at this. And you may wonder how I know that. Well, look in Hebrews, other than the story itself when God blesses the offering, in Hebrews 11.4, and this is, in, this, this is amazing that Abel shows up in what's called the hall of faith. All right? So right at the very beginning in verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. I love it when it says the most excellent. It makes me think of Bill and Ted. You, any of y'all remember Bill and Ted? They would be like, oh, the most excellent, far out, you know, that whole thing. It was very... All right, sorry. The jokes get worse as I go on, all right? So, somebody really liked it over here. I paid them to do that, but... So... So... <laughs> So a most excellent sacrifice, right? It says by faith. That can actually be translated, that word faith can be translated faithfulness too. In other words, it wasn't just kind of like faith in an idea, but it was a faith in action. It was a faithfulness. In other words, I believe God says this. I believe it's true. I'm going to do it in obedience because of that. And so he gives his offering as a first fruit offering to God. And this is, this is important that we see that in Hebrews because they're trying to help us to see that Abel was a man of faith. It, 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 it's important because, see, connected to first fruits is faith. Connected to first fruits is faith. In other words, God doesn't want your leftovers. God wants your first fruit. Because, see, you know what happens with leftovers, right? They go into the refrigerator 
And then when you have people come over to your house that you don't like, you give them the leftovers. But if you have people come to your house that are really special to you, you go out and get a nice piece of something, steak or whatever. You do something nice. Some of you get some tofu. But you get a nice something and you give it to them, right? It's a nice meal. It's a good offering to them. You would never give them leftovers. Because see, see, first is about faith. In other words, let me, let me break it down for you. When the money comes in, the first thing that goes out is unto God. Again, it's an act of worship. It's an act of saying, God, I trust you. Because what happens is, and again, I know that sometimes we're forgetful. And so we're like, well, God, hey, you know, I'll pay this, pay this, pay this. And then we finally, we're going to write it. We know we're going to write it. You know, it's like, I'm going to write it. So God, it's fine. And I get that. And I'm not, I'm not like trying to heap like guilt on you or make it some law. I'm just trying to say there's an act of worship here that says when that comes in, I, I say to God, God first. In other words, I give to God first before I give to Visa. Now, why would that be important? Well, it's establishing a principle of first in my life, which unlocks the blessings of God for everything else. And so when you come up short at the end of the month, what's that give you? It gives you an opportunity to trust the Lord in faith, knowing that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Again, if you want to see the miracle, give God an opportunity. And see, that's my point, is we've got to understand that there's a faith component to first. And when we get hold of that, God will start to do some wacky things. Guys, I have had so many amazing things happen in my life simply because we did that. Because it's amazing how God shows up in ways that you're just like, wow, I didn't even see that coming. You know? And sometimes it's not like a little hundred dollars. Sometimes it's a lot that just shows up. And it's like, wow. And you, and you may or may not believe that. And that's fine. But I'm just telling you, it's true. And there's lots of people in this room. I could say, raise your hand. And they'd be like, yeah, that's true. That's true. It happened to me. And so, so it's not about the leftovers, it's about the first. God wants to do that miracle in your life. See, the widow needed to get faith. <laughs> she didn't need more oil. She didn't need more flour. She didn't need, any, she didn't need more sticks. She needed faith. And the moment she got faith is the moment the blessing came that God was going to open up the heavens in her life. And it's a very powerful idea. Very powerful idea. And so this principle is all throughout Scripture. And so I'll just read this last one to you. And this is in Matthew 6, 33. This is one of the first passages of Scripture I ever memorized. If you've never memorized, this one's good. Get this one, all right? Here it is. But seek first, hear me, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. Come on. When we seek Him first, not when we call our friend for advice, not when we go to the counselor first. No, when we go to God first, God says he will add it all unto you. This relates to our giving. This relates to our talents. This relates to everything in our lives. When we put God first in our marriage, when we put God first in our relationships, when we put God first in our school, when we put God first here, there, wherever, you get the point. God will do what God says he'll do. I don't know if you believe that because you're being a little quiet. I'm just saying. Just saying. So here's the thing. As we get to the end, I'm about to end. Cain was offended at God. Cain was offended at God. You've got to be pretty 
What's the word I'm looking for? I need a better word. Somebody help me. Pompous, that's a good one. We arrogant. Let's go with arrogant. You got to be pretty arrogant to get offended at God. Think about that for a second. And I know we've all done it. I've been, I've been offended at God. I've been frustrated with God so many times. But if you kind of walk back from that, you're like, that's weird. I mean, think about it. He knows everything. He's perfect. He, he, he never screws up. <laughs> and, yet, and yet we're the ones going to God and saying, hey, I'm offended at you. And he's like, well, great. Sit down. I'm going to give you a talking to. I'm going I'm I'm to share some things with you. Because if you've ever read the book of Job, I don't know if you've ever read it. it it's a fascinating read, but Job spends a lot of time frustrated with the Lord. You know, sure, he was a man of faith and, you know, all that. But, but he was frustrated with what he was going through, you know. And there's this point in chapter 38 where God finally says to Job, Hey, you know what? I'm tired of this. He's like, I'm tired of hearing you. You sit down. I love that. He's like, you sit down. He says, you brace yourself like a man because I'm about to tell you what's real. And he goes off. He's like, did you create the... You know, did you do this? Did you create the hippopotamus? Did you do this? Did you? I mean, he just goes after him, and Job finally is like, okay, you're right. I'm wrong. And sometimes we're, we got to get to that place like where we finally just surrender and say, you know what? You're right. I, I shouldn't be offended. But Cain was absolutely offended at God. And I, I, just, I just imagine if in that moment, if Cain would have taken that offense and just laid it before the Lord. He may have still had to deal with the curse of the offering, but he wouldn't have had to deal with the death of his brother. Get that. If, if, if he would have just allowed that to happen, that the anger, the bitterness, all that stuff, the countenance stuff, if that would have just, he would have just given it to the Lord, which he didn't, and it led to the murder of his brother. And then here's the thing. So Cain's offended at God, and if God could be this, I can kind of imagine that God should be offended at Cain. Get this. He should be. He'd be like, I told you what to do, and you bring me that, that, that little offering. You bring me those leftovers. Can you picture that? God's going to give us a talking to. He's like, hey, what are you doing? I should be offended at you. Isn't that kind of a weird thing to think about? That God's like, hey, 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 I told you what to do. You're not doing it. Why are you offended at me? I'm offended at you. Can you picture this kind of, this kind of cosmic play of dialogue? And it's like, no, 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 no. This is the best part. If you fast forward the story, the reason God could say that, the reason God could do what he's doing, because this is the cool thing about God, is God is outside space and time. And so he sees things that you don't see. He sees the future before you're even there. And he knew that when Adam and Eve did what they did, that he already had a plan to deal with it. Now get this, stay with me. And so, in the spans of time, fast forward to a place in the New Testament that you get a guy named Jesus. Heard of this guy? He's kind of a big deal. And so Jesus shows up, and the Bible references Jesus as what? First son. First Fruit. I'm going to show you because I don't want you just to take it hook, line, and singer. But Jesus is God's firstborn. 
get this, and he was offered his first fruits to us, for us. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, I'm going to show you in the Bible if you don't believe me. Verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become, look at this, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then in Colossians 1.5, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In other words, God, Jesus, God already knew that Jesus was coming. And so in some ways, it's like if you came with your little bitty brain, couldn't you just understand that maybe I have a bigger plan? That maybe when I say do something, there's a good reason? That maybe when I say do this or do this and your obedience comes in line with that, that it's going to lead to blessings in your life and not some bad thing? Because see, what we've done is we've characterized God as something that he's not. And when we characterize God as something he's not, it leads us to a bad place. But when we trust him for who he is, then it leads us to the blessings that he wants to give us. It's true. It's true. And so, so I can just picture God saying to him, I don't accept your offering, Cain. Because you, what have you done? Because see, there's going to be a day that I send my son, my firstborn, my first fruits for you. Cain didn't even know it. That God was going to send his firstborn, first fruits for us. And we didn't even know it. Because again, you've, you've heard this passage of scripture in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, Right? That he gave his only firstborn, firstfruit, begotten son. Firstborn, firstfruit. Get it? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, if God has done that for us, think about this, people. If God has done this for us, he's done his best by us. Why can't we do that towards him? It's a good question. It's one that I think we all should consider because we should be able to give God our best as well. The first fruits of our labor, the first fruits of our life, making sure that he's always on the throne and always the source. Because see, here's the deal. God will not compete with anything or anyone ever because he wants to be first. And so the principle of the first matters as we think about becoming the most generous people and actually experience the blessed life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's in your word that we find so much meaning. Lord, forgive us for the times that we haven't adhered to it, for where we've ignored it or for, for when we've just outright rejected it in rebellion. God, we, we just ask for your forgiveness there. Perhaps you're here today and you're, there was something in the message that stirred your heart. Maybe, maybe you felt convicted over something or maybe you just needed a, an extra word from God or a touch. Or I don't, I don't know. But, but I really do want us to consider that question. With our heads bowed, nice closed. I just want you to consider that question a little bit more. Is what is the Holy Spirit saying to you in this area of giving? How are you doing with that? Holy Spirit, would you speak to your people? And whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, just do it. Just do it. Surrender yourself to it and do it. If you're here and you're like, I, I need that, I want that, I, I, God, I need to get this right here or there, I just want to pray for you today. And so, God, I pray right now for those that are making decisions today, whether it's around finances or some other area of their life, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would give them everything that they need to not only walk towards it, but to follow through with it. God, we believe in faith that you're going to do that. 
We trust you. Now, earlier in my message, I referred to Jesus as being the first fruit, first son. Jesus came into this world to set us free. The Bible says that, that through him we receive eternal life. And I don't know if that's something that's true in your life. And as a pastor, I feel like I would not be doing my job if I didn't give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. In other words, the Bible says that Jesus came into this world as a baby, grew into a man, went to a cross, died a brutal death on that cross with a purpose. And you were that purpose. Because, see, God loved you so much that he was willing to do that for you. And so the scripture says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that this is true, that you want that to be real in your life and you'd put your faith and trust in that, that God will literally send his son to you through the Holy Spirit and change you from the inside out, that you would receive salvation, but you also would receive transformation now and over a lifetime. And so I wonder if that's something that you want. And so as we pray uh, together, Nobody's looking around, but I do want to ask you to take a step of faith. And so if you're here today and you're ready to settle that relationship, maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you're ready to do that. And I just, I just want to encourage you on the count of three, maybe if you wouldn't just mind lifting your hand up. Nobody's going to point you out. I'm not going to do anything like that. I just want to be able to pray for you as I see your hand. And so um, if you wouldn't mind, take a step of faith. Be bold and go ahead and raise your hand up if you're not sure in this area. And so right now, on the count of three, just raise it up. Be bold. In Jesus' name, one, two, three. Go ahead. Go ahead. God bless you. God bless you. Good. Good job. Good job. Great. Great. Okay, you can put your hands down. All right. Now, church, we're all going to pray together because nobody prays alone in here. So we're all praying together here. And so let's repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. I acknowledge my need for you. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you be Lord of my life? I surrender to you today. Change me from the inside out. Give me purpose. Give me meaning. And I choose this day to follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those that were making decisions today? It's so good.